You're listening to the Bahai World News Service. Dizzy Gillespie was an American jazz musician who is remembered as arguably one of the greatest jazz trumpeters of all time. In honor of the 100-year anniversary of his birth, his contributions to the genre are being celebrated in a number of tribute concerts around the world. Gillespie was born in October 1917. His interest in music started when he was just four years old and began playing his father's piano. He went on to become one of the pioneers of bebop jazz, some of the most radical and vital music of its time. His vibrant persona and sheer technical virtuosity continue to influence musicians today. Gillespie's work and philosophy were inspired by his belief in the teachings of Baha'u'llah, teachings whose major feature is their emphasis on the oneness of humanity and the spiritual nature of human beings. It was an audience member who first introduced Gillespie to the Baha'i faith. Beth McKinty, a Canadian who attended one of his shows in Milwaukee, was motivated to reach out to him after reading about the tragic drug addiction and death of Gillespie's close friend, the saxophonist Charlie Parker. Gillespie wrote in his autobiography, To Be or Not to Bop, When I encountered the Baha'i faith, it all went along with what I had always believed. I believed in the oneness of mankind. I believed we all come from the same source, that no race of people is inherently superior to any other. In an interview at a Baha'i conference in the Caribbean in 1971, Gillespie talked about some of these beliefs. Most people, not the whole society in which we live now, they are convinced that man is an animal because he has acted that way. But we know that man is, is noble. Now, because we know he's noble because he's got all of those attributes of God himself within us. All he needs to do is work on them. Rob Weinberg is a journalist in the United Kingdom who recently sat down with Mike Longo, a longtime collaborator and friend of Gillespie's, to talk about Dizzy's legacy, his love for the unifying nature of jazz, and how the Baha'i teachings influenced his exploration of the rhythms and harmonies of diverse cultures. My first encounter with him on any level was I came to New York in the 60s with this band called the Salt City Six, and we were booked into a club called the Metropole. It's gone now, but the Metropole had six bands a day working there, two in the afternoon, two at night, and two upstairs in the modern jazz room. And so uh, when the band left, I left the band and stayed at the Metropole. They hired me as a house pianist. And so when Dizzy was playing upstairs, he'd have to pass 
where we were playing to go on his break. So a bass player in Florida called me up and said, man, did you see uh, the article in International Musician Magazine? I said, no. He said, Dizzy Gillespie's talking about you. I said, what did he say? He said, well, they asked him if he heard any young musicians that he was impressed with, and he mentioned me. And then the next time, I went to Toronto to study with Oscar Peterson. I, I was six months. When I came back to New York, I had a manager by the name of Milt Gray. He booked me into uh, the Embers on the east side. And we were the house trio, and they'd bring in headliners, and Dizzy was one of the headliners. He was on his break, and my trio was playing, and he was sitting at a table with people, and he looked up at me, and he mouthed the words, I love you. And uh, later on, he had produced a record on me, and he said that's when he knew he wanted me on his group. But it was two years later that I was playing the Embers West. I had a trio with Paul Chambers and myself. We played six months there, six nights a week. And this one night, I looked out, and there was Dizzy sitting ringside. I thought Roy Eldridge went around the corner and got him. So you got to come here to this piano player. So the next day he called me and said, meet me at the Union. I want to talk to you about something. When I went down to meet him, he said, when I get back from Europe, I'm going to need a pianist. And I said, you got one. I didn't even ask him. I didn't even ask him how much money I was getting, which was a mistake. I just, <laughs> he paid me weekly, very weekly. <laughs> time when he first heard about the Baha'i Faith? Ironically, the night I joined the band was the night he heard about the Baha'i Faith. My first night with him was in Milwaukee at a place called the Vanguard. You know who Beth McKinty is? Okay, well, yeah. Beth had called Dizzy and told him Charlie Parker didn't have to die like he died. And could she talk to him? And so that night, she and her husband came, and Dizzy was sitting with them at the table, and she told him about the Baha'i Faith and gave him a, a lot of literature. And so... Uh, at that time was riots and, and here I was probably the only Caucasian on a black band at that time. And so Dizzy and I started talking and he was studying the writings and it wasn't until it was the night after Martin Luther King was assassinated, he declared. It took me five years. Five years later, I became a Baha'i. He was always very keen to explore different musics from different cultures. Do you think the faith immediately appealed to him because of its emphasis on the oneness of humanity? Yes, that was the main thing. Because he and I were both very upset about the racial situation here with all the riots and everything. We were talking, and I said, it don't have to be like that, you know. And and I remember we were, we were saying, uh, there's got to be somebody that represents the way we feel. And that's when he discovered the faith. So that was probably the main influence. Another one was the agreement between science and religion. And uh, the equality of men and women, that appealed to him greatly. When I was studying the faith, we were going to Japan and he was up in first class, and I was in the in the coach, and, and I was reading this book called Baha'i World Faith, and I was saying, man, I've been thinking this way all my life. And I, so I, I got up, and I was going to go up to tell Dizzy, and here he comes the other way, and he's all glowing, and we met in the middle. He, we both had that same... So uh, Dizzy was tuned into the vibe. Do you think somehow the music changed after he became a Baha'i? It got deeper. In what way? If you listen to the chronology of his recordings, when he embraced the Afro-Cuban thing, the music went to a much deeper level because it, be, it went to a world level. And if you think about the faith, that was a reflection of all the people coming together. And so uh, it went on the level of 
as close as a human being can get to perfection. It seems to me that there's a great relationship between jazz and spiritual ideas. Do you think it's the most spiritual form of music? Totally. It's a very uplifting thing. And if you think about it, Sonny Rollins said that jazz is really about integration. And so, uh, like the song, The Basin Street, is the street where all the light and the dark folks can meet. Jazz is based on the same principles as the Baha'i faith. And, I mean, interracial mixing was way back when jazz first started. Dizzy described jazz as a marriage between African rhythm and European harmony. And so if you look at that from a broader perspective, that's a marriage between the black race and the white race. And Dizzy's music specifically, when they say that the prophet unleashes a new power in the universe, Dizzy's concept of bebop and all that is a reflection of that. Dizzy represents an organic breakthrough in music. The last time that happened was Bach. And then towards the end of his life, he put the United Nations Orchestra together. Mm -hmm. Was that really hoping that he could be very specifically promoting a Baha'i sense of the world coming together in music? Well, that's what he believed in. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's what the principle of the United Nations Orchestra was. It's 100 years since he was born. So what do you think his legacy is then for music? He's still not appreciated or understood his music is from a, such a deep place. Like I say, he organically changed music. In the music business or in the music field, a lot of people have picked up on little bits and pieces of it, but nobody understands the concept because of the depth of it. And it's based on some very, what you would call physics, a new set of physics. And so... At this point in time, most of the educators and so forth are imitating it. They're not, they don't understand the concept. They understand the notes. So they imitate the notes and they try to imitate the feeling. But they're not coming up with the essence yet. And so he's not fully appreciated yet. Might be another hundred years before that happens. Mm. You spoke at his funeral, so do you remember what were the kinds of things that you said at that? The main gist of what I said was... A lot of people know what Dizzy played, but they don't know how he played. What does music do when playing with people? You have that kind of relationship with people. Do you think the music takes you to another level? Oh, yeah. Well, you can't play unless you go to that level. This music doesn't come from thinking. You can't think and play at the same time. It comes from behind the mind. So there's a sort of a bliss place back there that that's totally spiritual. That is the animating force to our music. In fact, to the arts, all the arts, and scientists as well. The power that Baha'u'llah unleashed is the animating force in the arts. Dizzy said, what you hear is the divinity in the music. For more information, visit news.bahai.org.